0: So, if uh, again, if you're visiting with us this morning, or uh, or this is your first Sunday, one of the things that we do here at Bay Vineyard is we really orientate uh, our our kind of what we do on Sundays and what we speak about around this thing called the church calendar, and um, and so today uh, we're going to be looking at the Ascension of Jesus, and uh, and so you'll see on the screens. A bit of a sort of illustration around uh, the church calendar. Basically, what happened is that as the early church began to look at the life of Jesus, they began to be just so amazed at these these, like certain moments of Jesus' life. It was like this is so significant that we need to uh, cycle through this every year. And uh, and trust me, you never run out of. Uh, of what to discover and what to... Uh, like, There's so much treasure to find in these moments of Jesus' life. You never will get to the end of all the little angles on these things. It's so rich and so beautiful. And the idea is that this would help us orientate our lives around these key moments of Jesus because that's what we're here for today. We want to orientate our lives around Jesus. Some of us do really well at that. Some of us are wrestling and struggling with that. That's all good. You're here this morning. And we're here to go like, we want to orange. So, uh, so far what we've journeyed through, our year doesn't begin where the rest of society's year begins on New Year's Day. No, no, no. We're different. We're a bit weird. We're peculiar people with our own calendar. So our year began uh, back in December as we journeyed uh, into uh, the season of Advent. We were like, the king is coming. And uh, and and again, there's so much there. Can't wait to preach on Advent again. King of the universe comes as a little baby. It's amazing. And then we celebrate Christmas, which we kind of do kind of a wobbly Christmas thing because uh, we have to pack in and out, and no one wants to no one wants to set up chairs on Christmas Day. It turns out, so we kind of celebrate Christmas a little bit early, but that's all right. Uh, and then we go into a season again that we're not great at called Epiphany. Uh, because most of us here in New Zealand are on holiday and we shut the church down for a few weeks there. But what we are good at doing is the journey of Lent, which we've done this year, into uh, into Easter, uh, and now we're in this kind of time of Pentecost and the Ascension. So we're going to talk about Ascension today. Next week, uh, we've got a guest speaker talking about the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost. And then the week after that is Trinity Sunday. So we're going to be looking at that doctrine. Uh, and that's Charlotte's job. Good luck, Charlotte. Uh, and then we go into ordinary time. I love this. I love everything about it because the, for the first part of our year, we're just orientated around the story of Jesus and then uh, then the story of the people of God, which is so much. Of it's just ordinary time. I love that it's even called that. Like, how much of life is just ordinary time, right? And these moments where it's always exciting and birthdays and Christmas, blah, blah, blah. and then there's just ordinary time where you kind of chug along, and tomorrow morning's an ordinary Monday, right? You got a school lunches, drop the kids on school, yeah, and just chug through your thing, right? And much of our Christian life is walked out in ordinary time. And so, uh, so I love this. I, I I'm really pleased we do this. Um and uh, and here's why. Dallas Willard said this, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus gathered his little group of friends and trainees on the Galilean hillsides and sent them out to teach all nations, that is to make students or apprentices to him from all ethnic groups, every culture. His objective is eventually to bring all of human life on earth under the direction of his wisdom and goodness and power as part of God's eternal plan for the universe. Like that's the story we're caught up on. That's like, we're a church in formation here to be formed more like Jesus so that our lives and our, and what we give ourselves to as this community is orientated around Jesus. That's why this group of people is called the body of Christ. We're called to continue the mission of Jesus and it's worth giving your life to. And the kingdom is indeed like a mustard seed. It started on that little small hill in Galilee, insanely small, like insignificant. You could just, you, you blink and you miss it. This tiny crew of people Uh, and yet today, 2,000 years ago, it spread all around the world. And it's like a big tree where people find their home. This is the story that we're caught up in. And the ascension of Jesus is this key part in the story, which is why it's in the church calendar. It's incredible, it's remarkable. I've been swimming in ascension stuff all week, and I'm like, oh, we've got many years to try and again get through uh, just, you know, at least the, a portion of how significant this is. It's for good reason that the church put this in uh, the church calendar. A wonderful uh, New Testament scholar called Cherith V. Nordling. Uh, wrote this article that is going to be live on our uh, Facebook page and I I think half past 11, maybe, I'm not sure, maybe live now, don't check, you pay attention to me. Um, And that's to those that want to dive a bit deeper, which I hope is many of you. And she said in this article, this, despite the fact that for almost two millennia, the Feast of the Ascension, like Christmas, Easter and Pentecost, was among the highest of the church's feast festival days. The centrality of Jesus' ascension has all but disappeared for most of the church, particularly Protestants, as surely as Jesus did when he ascended. It's like, when was the last time you heard a good message on the ascension, right? It's like it's kind of disappeared just like Jesus' body did. Uh, If the disciples' initial confusion was quickly resolved through the heavenly testimony and the spirit baptism at Pentecost, ours unfortunately remains, because we haven't got a heads around how important this moment is in Jesus' life. She goes on to say this, Jesus' ascension is the climax of Scripture's narration of our story as God's people. Foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament and Gospels and the key source of hope in the early church. In fact, the language of exaltation in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, is the most alluded to Old Testament text in the New Testament. The hope of the suffering New Testament church was that the same Jesus Who has been taken from you into heaven is enthroned, exalted and crowned with glory and authority befitting Yahweh and his image bearing human children. Indeed, Jesus ascended is, is quite expressly the crowning event of God's life with us and our life with God. Right? This is a big deal. That's just like the one sentence summary from Mrs. Nordling there. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And I pray this morning as we look at this, there'll be this sense of revelations, to the implications for you today in Jesus' ascension. So uh, the book of Acts begins with the ascension. Uh, and this is Luke's story, which includes both Luke and Acts. So Luke is the Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus, and uh, and the story of Acts is the story of the early church. Uh, and the and the critical hinge between the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the story of Luke, and the story of his spirit-empowered people at work in the world, which is the book of Acts, is this ascension. It's the hinge, it's the central point. So let's have a look at the text. In Luke 24, 50 to 53, it says this: When he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now, now this is after Jesus has risen from the dead and spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God to his disciples, which is important for us to get our heads around, which is why I again I do the church calendar stuff. Jesus didn't spend 40 days talking about the fact that it's important that souls go to heaven when they die. Jesus spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. He's to equip a people, former people to be his kingdom agents, his representatives, his ambassadors, his witnesses here on earth. He wants to shape and form us for that task. And I can guarantee you the disciples that have paid a lot of attention after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, you see a whole lot of muddled disciples asking questions that are quite dumb, missing the point, not quite getting it. After the resurrection, Full blaze attention, like if someone rises from the dead and then starts kind of joining all the dots, it's like, okay, 40 day block course on the kingdom of God. Then he leads them to this, uh, to this uh, mountain in the vicinity of Bethany and he blesses them. What a beautiful moment. I love Jesus like more and more as every little moment goes past. And you see this moment, all his friends that he loves, he loves them. And he's going to miss them because his relationship with them isn't going to be in bodily form anymore. There's a dynamic that's about to change. So what does he do? He just blesses them. He speaks words of blessing over them. Oh, I love him. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Uh, You'll read in a minute in Acts like they were like a bit bit confused. They're like kind of staring up into the sky. In fact, we'll look at that in a second. But Luke kind of has got a couple of things going on here. When the angels clearly spoke to them about what was going on and kind of opened their eyes to how important this is, it says they then worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now, Uh, Really important, we're going to say this every time the word heaven gets mentioned there in verse 51. Wright says this, Most people didn't believe heaven was a long way away. They thought of heaven and earth as overlapping, interlocking spheres of reality. So when they talk about Jesus going away into heaven, what they meant was that Jesus was going away from our world into God's world, but that wasn't a long way away. The significance of that is that God's world can touch any point in our world. So like when, so we, we've got, even when we talk about the ascension, we've got this picture of Jesus kind of going zzz, And in fact, if you Google image the ascension, you'll see a whole lot of pictures of Jesus' feet and the disciples. Now, whether he went up or down or side, it doesn't matter. The Bible says he went up, fine, whatever. The point isn't where he went. The point is that the, he went into this heavenly reality. And Jesus said, for example, like the kingdom of heaven is near. Like That's why we say when we come to communion, this place where heaven and earth overlap. That's why the Celtic people talk about thin places where God's presence dwells, like places where you could almost reach out and touch Him. It's like He's so near. That's where uh, Jesus went. Let's have a quick look at the incident that, uh, same incident repeated in Acts. Jesus says to his disciples as he's blessed them, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So he's saying there, uh, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit next week. But again, you're to be my witnesses, representatives, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Concentric circles outwards from where we are now, you are going to be my witnesses. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Again, uh, very intentional use of language here. The cloud in the Old Testament, Testament symbolizes the presence and the power of God. So he's caught up into that place. And they're looking intently up into the sky. I love the disciples say, uh, uh. <laughs> This is brilliant. Uh, <laughs> it encourages me as a pastor, to be honest, because there's a lot of that in the church sometimes. Uh, anyway, um, men of Galilee, so these two angelic beings stand beside them and I say, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And so then they return with great joy into Jerusalem. So what does this whole thing mean? Because it's a critically important doctrine. It's a really important part of, of the Jesus story. And it's not just some abstract kind of teaching thing. It's got, it's got some important implications for how we live today. So there's three that I want to look at, completely 100% stolen from Tim Keller, okay? So this is not a Harvey original. This is uh, There's 90% Tim Keller in the recipe and a 10% Harvey and a few other guys in there as well. So that's more than 100%. But we'll deal with that if that's... A ma- Sorry, Ryan, as a mathematician, that's difficult. But in Jesus, all things are possible. Matthew, so three, three things that... <laughs> Three things that, uh, that are just stunning in their implications uh, around the ascension for us today. The first thing, uh, uh, the two, well, here are the three things, if you're taking notes, and, and it's good to do that, uh, is Intimacy. Because of the ascension, we can have intimacy with God. Secondly, because of the ascension, ascension, Jesus is crowned king. And thirdly, because of the ascension, we have an advocate for us in that heavenly realm. So let's have a look at those three things. Because of the ascension, we can have this deep intimacy with God. Um, it's amazing when you look at the whole story of Scripture that God's heart was to be near his people. And he didn't just want one or two people to be near him. He wanted everyone to have access to his presence, to be near him. So in the Old Testament, however, because Jesus hadn't done what Jesus was going to do on the cross, it was complicated for people to come into the presence of God. There was a lot of uh, rituals and sacrifices that were needed, and God's presence dwelt in this physical location in the Holy of Holies, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, in the temple uh, of the Old Testament uh, Testament community. And so to, to get near God, it was tricky. And God's heart was always that He would be close to everyone. And uh, in Genesis 12, he's like, I want to bless you, Abraham, so that your, your whole nation will be a blessing to the world. Like he wanted everyone to be in. That was always his heart. And then he comes in Jesus. But again, Jesus is still in one spot. And, uh, you know, I like hanging out with Jesus So how do I do that if Jesus doesn't ascend? Well, I've got to travel to Israel. And then I've got to get my ticket for my five minutes with Jesus. And there's a queue of like probably today a billion, two billion people that want to also hang out with Jesus. Maybe a bit more, I'm not sure. And so I've got to wait my turn. And then chances are I die before I even get near Him. Like honestly, it's like, oh... And so this is interesting because God's heart was that he'll be near every one of us. And Jesus had to operate within the relational limits that we all have to operate in. Jesus couldn't be best friends with everyone when he was there in the flesh. In the same way that you can't be best friends with everyone in the world. And in fact, Jesus operated within the relational limitations you and me have. Jesus had three besties and then he had nine closeies. And then he had 72 people he was training and discipling and 500 others that were part of his crew. But, and then there was like, you know, in the end, there was a whole tribe, you know, thousands that would listen to him teach. And it gets you hit, it messes me up, but it's like Jesus had to like operate within the relational limitations that we all have. And so he had some besties. Those Peter, James and John were his favourites. In terms of, well, they weren't really. Late, but in terms of time that he hung out with, he got to spend more time with them than the others. He brings it, but was that his heart? The answer is no. Jeez, hello, crikey! I hope that you can get your head around. No. Guess what? He wants to be best friends with everyone. He wants. He longs to be best friends with everyone. And so there's this interesting moment in John twenty when Mary uh, finds the tomb empty and she's distraught and it's like, no, this, is, uh, this what's happening here? And then she sees him in John 20, verse 17. It says, uh, she, she, Mary runs up and just grabs Jesus. We talked yesterday at Hani's funeral about the Hani hug, which is a very strong hugger. You know, it was like this strong hug. And a lot of people, it uh, turns out, had lots of stories about the honey hug. Mary gave Jesus the honey hug. She runs up to him, and she's like, monster honey hug. And she's and why? Because she's like, I don't want to let you go. I don't want you to go anywhere. I don't want this to happen. And Jesus says, Do not hold this is kind of a strange thing. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. So she, he's basically saying to Mary, don't hold on so tight because she was afraid of ever losing him again. But Jesus was saying to her, let me ascend because if I stay here, you are going to be distant from me at some point. At some point, you'll need to go to the loo. At some point, you'll need to visit a relative. At some point, you'll need to have something to eat. And, but if I ascend through the Holy Spirit, you'll never ever lose me again. I will dwell with you. Let let my hand go so that I can ascend and come into your heart. Uh, In John 16, verse 5, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Brian Zahn says it like this. The ascension of Christ does not lead to the absence of Christ, but to his cosmic presence everywhere. This is why the risen Christ says, behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. In the ascension, Christ now fills all things everywhere with himself. There is now no place where Christ is not, and there is no domain over over which Jesus is not Lord. Saint Augustine said it like this, You ascended from us before our eyes, and we turned back grieving only to find you in our hearts. That's a good line. That's a good line. I love this about the the ascension. This means that Jesus is everywhere. And this means that there's plenty of Jesus to go around. And we can have this intimacy with him. Like we can be a Peter, James and John. We can be a beloved disciple. We can be as close to Jesus as we want to be because he wants to be near to us. I love this. I was out in the prison uh, earlier this week visiting one of our boys in there. Uh, and it's just like we're you know, we go in there, we talk about Jesus. And it's like, I, and I love what Zahn says there. There is no, now no place where Christ is not. <laughs> So I'm like, even in that pretty heavy environment, Jesus is present. And we're sitting in this little room having a catch up like we do every month. And it's like, And like, I'm like, bro, can you feel God in the room? And he's like, yeah, bro, I can feel it. Isn't it awesome? He's like, yeah, it's the best feeling ever. I'm like, I know it's the best feeling ever. And it's like, how's your devos going? My devos are going awesome. I'm like, you're a legend. And it's like, blah, blah, And I'm like, because because of the ascension, we can have that experience. We can know him. We, We, you know, it's that sense of like, oh, you're not here in that sense, that physical thing, but that's good because you're here. You're here, you're here, you're in that heavenly reality, you're as close as the air I breathe. And that's why, again, as every Sunday, have a good devotional life. You should do it, read your Bible, get on your ass, keep on going. And it's like, let's let's cheer each other on to stay close to Jesus, because we have access. When Jesus died on the cross, that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. That curtain was the thing that separated the average Joe's from the Holy of Holies' his presence, and, and God comes rip. That opens says, Come on in, guys. Welcome into my presence. You're all welcome. And so now it's just on us. Do we hunger? Do we thirst? Do we long from it's a dance with Jesus sometimes? Like I feel like sometimes it's hide and seek. It's like, where you go, Jesus? I feel like I felt your presence in the prison, real sweet, but I'm like, I feel like I can't feel below my neck right now. It's like, you know, is there any, you know, where are you? I feel like an atheist, and I maybe need a few more coffees and wake up or whatever it is. And it's like and sometimes I have to seek him, and there's seasons, sometimes months, where it's like, Lord, I know you're there somewhere. And, and I think Jesus sometimes plays that dance with us because it's like, when you're in his presence, it's like, oh man, easy to choose you. Like, how would you not? You're the source. Of, like, in your presence, it's pure love and life and goodness, and my soul just gushes up with good stuff, and it's amazing. And, uh, and if it was just, there's this sense of like, God wants, like, he gives us free will. Because free will is what real love looks like, where it is a choice. Love is always a choice. And so there have been seasons in my life where I'm like, I don't know where you are, but I'm going to keep seeking you, and you always crack through to deeper fellowship, to deeper intimacy. So if that's you, if that's the space you're in, hang in there. But I tell you what, having a devotional rhythm means that at least you're positioning yourself to have that place of that moment of encounter. At least you're giving it, at least you're choosing faithfully to do it. But, and, and when life's ticking along, because he loves being near to us, he doesn't do that to be mean. He loves it because he wants to respect our freedom. but he just, he can't help himself. He can't help him. He just loves running into, into your life. He loves being near you. And your mess and your dysfunction and your brokenness, how weird and quirky you are, he loves hanging out with you. How cool is that? He loves hanging out with you. And so this is where devotional rhythms are so beautiful. Because they we don't do this to be a good Christian. We do this simply. To, to be in places to receive His love and to be near Him. So you can, you can know Jesus. You can have a knowledge of that divine love and the place of prayer and devotional things and worship that is the envy of the world. You can have that intimacy with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The second implication uh, of the Ascension is it means now that Jesus is king. Like the whole word ascension is this whole thing of, ascend, of ascending. like he, He's going up right? That's the language they use. And they, they use that language uh, because it's coronation talk. Like Jesus was coronated uh, on earth on that cross. He was king of all. on the, He was lifted up and, and that is this picture of supreme self-giving love. The very nature of God is self-giving love, and that is the supreme example of what it's like to take on all that brokenness upon Himself. He's coronated King of the... They even stick it above His head. He is the King of the Jews, and they mock Him, and they spit on Him, and all of that stuff's going on. He's King. But there's a set... So that's King... He's coronated King on earth... On that cross, and then he's coronated king on heaven in the ascension, where he ascends up into the rightful place of God. It's not him floating up to heaven, he's ascending to a throne. Uh, So, uh, with his birth, the king arrives, with his life, death, and resurrection, the king redeems, and with his ascension, the king rules. Uh, And this is of huge importance to our understanding of who Jesus is and, and the role of the church today. Ephesians explores this. In Ephesians 1 it says this, God put this power to work in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He has put all things under His feet and has made Him the head of all things for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. I mean, the language is just decadent and, and it's so eloquent. Jesus is not Lord elect. He is Lord eternal. When He ascended, it wasn't like oh, I'm beginning to, to, to wait for my reign. God, Jesus is now reigning from the right hand of the Father. That's where He is right now. And so when we when we get our heads around what the ascension means, it means that we can have confidence that indeed all things work for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. All, God works together for good for, through all things. That he, because He rules, He reigns in that heavenly place right now. He's Lord of all. Uh, and so how does this impact my life? Simply this, I, ha- I can have a peace knowing that Jesus reigns over everything, especially over the political uh, uh, leadership and framework that it's all kinds of crazy today. Because I'm not looking to political systems to fix things. I'm looking to God to heal things. And through His people filled with the Spirit, we go into the world with His authority, as His ambassadors, His empowering to continue to see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because Jesus is Lord and He is King above it all. And so if you don't have Jesus on the throne, the only way that you can really affect any change, particularly national change, uh, is through the political system, which is why we've got such intense political tribes. Like literally, it's like religious further today. And it's getting it's it's gonna increase why because Jesus is not on, on the throne for a lot of people. Like if Jesus is not on the throne, how do we how can we see this the, the nation move forward? Well, the only way is just through fervently getting into political things, it's become religious. Like it's so intense, right? Come on, church. This is why I get a bit nervous about Christians going bananas on this stuff, it has its place, right? But it's not that big a deal. We can have a a detachment to it. I mean, it's, it's fine to have an engagement, but it has to have the proper level of hope vested into it. Because our hope is in the risen and ascended Jesus. He is in charge. He is above every rule and authority and power and dominion, as Paul said. Amen? He's above it all. And so He is my hope. And consequently, my energy goes into the church, which is His body, which is what Paul is saying, which is where we are filled with the Spirit. And as we as we start to get our heads around this more and more and orientate our life around it, and not just think it, but actually live it, we will see the kingdom of God advance. Because And it's happening all over the show. The fact we're in the room today is testament to the fact the kingdom of God is advancing. And there's so much that He wants to do. And so what happens is we grasp the impact of the essential. Ascend- is that we have this deep confidence that that God is ruling and he's reigning. And there's a peace that comes with that. (sighs) We're under his lordship. We're building for the kingdom now in the present with the knowledge that Jesus will one day appear in glory. The Apostles' Creed says that he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. This right hand stuff always symbolizes authority and power. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Zahn says this again. When Christ comes again, the parousia, this is what's called the parousia, the curtain is lifted and that which has always been the case is revealed. This is the moment of judgment when we have to face how we have lived under the reign of Christ. When Jesus returns, the parousia is not the beginning of the reign of Christ, but the moment in which we are judged by how faithfully we have obeyed the King. So God is above it all. Uh, The ascension gives us this confidence that that, that Jesus reigns on that throne. Hallelujah. Not in some distant place, in the heavenly realm, which is right there. You could almost touch it. And it chills me out, hallelujah. So again, we engage with the political thing. That's fine, no problem with it. But that's not where my hope lies. And you know where my energy goes? Not in just ranting and raving. It goes into the embodied response of the convictions I have around what the kingdom of God is meant to look like. That's where my energies primarily are called to go. That's where my hope is. That's where, I, And it's empowered by the Holy Spirit like the breath of God breathes on it. And he takes our little offering and does extraordinary stuff with that. So we can have intimacy with God because of the ascension, he rules and reigns, hallelujah. And lastly, because of the ascension, we have an advocate for us in that heavenly realm. It's important to remind ourselves that Jesus did not stop being human when he ascended. There's a heresy called Gnosticism, which we do not have the time to go into, though I wish we did, and we may have to explore this on one particular Sunday. The early church had to fight tooth and nail to make sure that that uh, that false doctrine did not take root, because what happens is that people just saw the human body and and matter and 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 all that sort of stuff as either irrelevant or it was something to be discarded and it was the soul and the spirit and all that sort of stuff that really mattered. And so with the ascension, they would try and say, oh, it wasn't a physical body, you know? It was like he shed, uh, he shed that uh, human kind of thing like it was a costume that he put on at Christmas and then discarded at the ascension. But that is not the case. As Ross said, God was fully, Jesus was fully human and fully God. And the flesh, and he did not lose his humanity when he ascended. So therefore, there's a while. There's a lot of heaven breaking into earth. There's also a bit of earth in heaven right now. There's a bit of, which is just amazing, absolutely amazing. And so we have this advocate for us who knows what it's like to be human, who, who experienced it all, who went through every temptation, who, who uh, yet did not sin. But he, he he experienced what it, what it's like to feel hungry and angry and lonely and tired and to uh, and to feel disappointed and to be hurt by people and all of the all the humanity that we we have he experienced and it says this in 1 John 2 verses 1 and 2 it says my dear children I write this to you so that you will not sin but if anybody does sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. It's, it's beautiful. It's, the Bible says that, that Jesus is an intercessor for us and an advocate, advocate for us. An intercessor stands between two people and pleads the case. They stand in the gap between two people. But an advocate stands in the place with that person and says, I'm on their side of the table. Uh, you know, I've um, uh, been to uh, been to a bunch of court cases over my years pastoring and I've always written a letter uh, advocating for my buddy on the stand. Is it it biased? Hell yeah, it's biased. It's biased because I'm like, I know what this guy's like, and I know what the system thinks he's like, but I know a whole version of this particular person that you do not see with all the stats in front of you. So I'm gonna advocate for you. And it's a good feeling when people advocate for you, right? You know, uh, from time to time you'll meet someone that's really strong. And I like to say, oh, I really want them on my side of the table. You know, at some board meeting when it's all getting feisty, I want her on my side of the table. You know, oh, I'd like her on my, because she's a good advocate. You know, I want Jen on my side of the table. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking about. On my side of the table, man, I tell her she's strong. I'm like, this is good. We have people, and so we have not just Christ as king, but Christ as friend, We don't just have Christ over us, but we have Christ next to us. There's this beautiful book I've been reading called Gentle and Lonely by a guy called Dane C. Ortland, and he unpacks in one of the chapters this beautiful verse, 1 John 2, where it talks about, uh, about us having an advocate. And he says this, We are indeed called to forsake our sins. No healthy Christian would suggest otherwise. When we choose to sin, we forsake our true identity as a child of God. We invite misery into our lives and we displease our Heavenly Father. We are called to mature into deeper levels of personal holiness as we walk with the Lord. Truer consecration, new vistas of obedience. But when we don't, when we choose to sin, though we forsake our true identity, our Saviour does not forsake us. These are the very moments when his heart erupts on our behalf and renewed advocacy in heaven with the resounding defence that silences all accusation, astonishes the angels and celebrates the Father's embrace of us in spite of our messiness. Woo, hallelujah, that's good. That is so good. I love it. I absolutely love it. I just keep thinking. I keep thinking of Jesus standing there, you know, and it's like, hey, Father, you know how Harvey said that he wasn't going to do X and Y anymore? Yeah, well, it turns out uh, he just did X and Y. uh, And so, uh, but I just need you to know I'm standing with him and I take that upon myself. And so I want to present to you Sam Harvey, the holy and blameless one because of what I've done on the cross. I invoke all that I did on the cross and I present Sam Harvey to you, holy and blameless, hallelujah. And I'm like, ooh, (laughs) quite like the thought of an advocate like that Uh, because it's absolutely true. John's saying, no one's saying you should, the gospel of grace doesn't say it's fine to sin. The gospel of grace doesn't say it's fine to sin because sin dehumanizes us. There's effects, that pollutes us, right? But the gospel of grace says that even though you do, you're welcome. And even though you do, we come to the table every single week to receive the goodness and the mercy of Jesus who's our advocate in heaven and to invoke and say, thank you, I need it. Be my advocate, please. Be my advocate in heaven. Keller explains it like this. When the Bible says that Jesus stands as our advocate and representative before the throne of the universe, it is a way to say that He has ascended and not just levitated. It doesn't matter what you have been or what you have done. It doesn't matter how flawed and foolish you are. When the eyes of God the Father look at you, they see the ascended Jesus. When they listen to you, they hear Him. When God looks and listens to you, He sees and hears infinite beauty. Oh, don't you love him? Isn't that amazing? I just, I love this. We have an advocate. We have an advocate because of the ascension. And I just pray that you would know that this morning. Like we, it's such a battle to believe that it's true, that he can be that good, that it can, he can be that kind, and that it can be that easy that all we have to do is approach him and say, Lord, I need your mercy. And he just, he just washes us clean again and cheers us on to walk into a life that's flourishing, that doesn't hurt people or others, that sees us live well as a blessing to others. Amazing. So what does the ascension mean? The ascension means that we can have intimacy, that he is with you. The ascension means that he's king, he's Lord of all. And the ascension means that he's now our advocate, that he is for us. He is, he is near you, He reigns, and He's for you. How beautiful. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would illuminate this truth. And whatever one of those three in particular you need to lean into, there'd be that sense of like, yes, Lord. Yes, risen Jesus, I, I I pray that I would know this not up here, but in here. I would know my know that this is true and therefore I would live accordingly. And so whether that's that sense of like, oh man, intimacy, I can be near him, even me. You know, somewhere out there is the world's worst Christian, maybe in the room today. Like someone has to be the world's worst Christian. It just stands to reason that one person today is literally the world's worst Christian. I know, and guess what? It's for you. It's the worst. Worst Christian is still, according to the Bible, the greater is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because you have access to the presence of God, like John the Baptist didn't have. You have access, like like most of history hasn't had access. You have access to the King of Kings, the Lord of lords. It's all for you. This is why Ephesians talks about the all of the inheritance and the riches of God is available to us. So even the worst Christian gets all the goodies. All the goodies. Why? Because of what He's done and His goodness and kindness. All we do is receive it. And so I'm not sure whether you're still wrestling with them and this stuff, but God loves being near you even if you're the world's worst Christian. He loves being near you. And and so all I want to hang out with Him. What does it look like for you to hang out with Him tomorrow? What does it look like for you to hang out with Him on Tuesday? What does it look like to live a life that's close to Jesus? He loves me near you. He's Lord of all. We can chill out. Vote whatever way you want because our principal party is the the kingdom of God with Jesus who's above every leader in the world today. And the church is called to be the people of God, the body of God, shaped and formed to build the kingdom of God. And lastly, we have an advocate. I don't care how bad your week was, Jesus is for you. And he's enough. And all you need to do is receive that. Let's stand together. I want to pray a blessing over us as we finish. And this morning as we, as we finish, if you would like to receive prayer um, for one of those three things, where you're like, ma'am, that's uh, me. I need. Uh, I just need a fresh revelation for any one of these things or I'm wrestling with this, whatever it is, we would love to pray for you. And at the end of the service, feel free to sit in the front row. It'll be an absolute joy to pray for you. If you're going through tricky stuff, you've just been looking forward to prayer all week, please come. It's a joy for us to minister and pray with you. Uh, And if you don't know Jesus, or he's not Lord of your life, and you would like him to be Lord of your life, we would love to lead you uh, in a prayer and explain what it looks like to follow him. Best decision you could ever make. But let me pray this uh, prayer of blessing over you as we finish this morning. Let's pray. God of abundance, you have fed us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. This morning you have united us with Christ and with one another, and you have made us one with all your people in heaven and on earth. Now, Lord, send us forth in the power of your Spirit that we may proclaim your redeeming love to the world and continue forever in the risen life of Christ our Saviour, Amen. Amen.